right, happy Friday, everyone. This is the final program of our first week on the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. And this is the third final episode for the week I'm having with Pastor Patrick Boyle of Revival Baptist in Orlando, Florida. It is storming where he's at right now. So if you hear some thundering and booming and things, uh, it's storming there. So hopefully uh, our connection will remain good throughout this. But have enjoyed the last two conversations. And so uh, we're going to jump right into this final topic where uh, we're going through ABC, Animosity and Attacks, Bible and Books, and the other two episodes today. We're looking at courtesy without compromise. How do we know that me and Pastor Boyle being nice to people who disagree with us is not compromise? We would say it's courtesy. You know, it's okay to be nice and let people disagree on some things. Some people might want to call it compromise, though. And obviously, you know, we're independent fundamental Baptists. We don't compromise on nothing. But at the same time, I don't think that means we have to be a jerk all the time either. And so um, let's talk a little bit about that, about when, because, you know, Pastor Boyle, I mean, I listen, when you preach, uh, typically, uh, you are not like many who act like they're apologizing for what they preach. Uh, you're usually very decisive. Uh, you are usually very confident, and this is how it is. And so how can we be decisive but not divisive? Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor McMurtry, for having me back. Um, this is kind of what started the three-day con uh, conversation anyway, was approaching Bible prophecy with the right attitude. And you kind of had to go through those last two episodes to get to where we are now. And that is, you know, uh, be able to have a different eschatological view without compromising for those that maybe not, that don't share that view. And I, the last thing we want someone to do is take away that these views don't matter. That, oh, you know, these are just, I, I was talking, there's thundering going on here, but um but anyway, I was talking to a pastor a couple of weeks ago and he said something about, he said, yeah, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you believe on that. And he was trying to be very friendly, but then he said this, he said, uh, so I really just don't, I just don't study those views at all. I just don't really, I, I'm never planning on going through the book of Revelation. He said, because the Bible is just so full of information that we really don't need to hone in on these minor things. And I had to stop him and say, wait a minute. No, no, no. The fact that we're saying it's okay that we're friends and disagreeing is not saying that you shouldn't teach those things or you shouldn't uh, study them out for yourself or even get behind your pulpit and, and thunder, no pun intended, but thunder that doctrine with all authority because that's what you believe. And so the, we do not advocate compromising any of these truths at any level, but we do advocate being courteous to those that uh, maybe sh hold a different view. And there's two levels of that. As we're, we're both pastors, we have our churches, um, and we both have pre-trib friends. Um, but when I'm up there preaching against the pre-tribulational doctrine, you know, my friend's just going to have to know I'm going to be doing that. And if he's okay with that, then we can still be friends, while I also know he's doing the same in return. And we're okay with that. Um, the, the other aspect of it is from a church member standpoint and where we're being courteous versus compromising. 
you have to remember if you're a member of a church where your pastor is pre-trib and you are not, you it's not your uh, place to teach that church. That's not your body. You are not the pastor of that church. You're, th those souls are not going to be accountable to you on the judgment seat. They're going to be accountable to the pastor. And so you have to remember these things when you're sitting in the pew. It's a, it's a whole lot different than if you're in the pulpit. And if you're in the pew, you can hold uh, a, a different view than your pastor, but you better be supporting your pastor. You better be uh, supporting your church. And I would say this, if the pre-tribulational view of your pastor and you are post-trib is so big, you can't bite your tongue, you need to move your membership. Uh, you either be a good church member or you move your membership, but you don't have the right to uh, because you don't want to be a compromiser. If you feel like you're a compromiser, you need to move. Uh, we're not advocating compromise, but I think you know if you were in tune for the last uh, two episodes, you would find that in its proper perspective, it's not as big a deal as you might think. Uh, yes, it's important. Uh, we should be decisive. We shouldn't be wondering where we land, but there's a fine line between decisive and divisive. Very good. Yes. Something I have been uh, really emphasizing a lot lately in our church, because, you know, we've recently had people who had differences on things that I feel like they should have been able to live with, but they weren't able to live with them. And instead of just, you know, moving on, they tried to, you know, supplant and so discord and nobody has the right to do that nobody has the right to go into a church i don't care if you are a regular listener to the spirit of prophecy podcast and you uh you watch all my sermons on youtube and you've just got this wealth of knowledge that you're ready to you know just straighten a church out with you have no right to go into an established church and undermine that pastor and undermine the mission of that church i don't care how right you are you have to make a decision, and that is, can I live with this teaching? And and if I can live with it, then you live with it. You go in there, you shut up, you be a blessing, and and if you can't, yeah, if it if it hurts your conscience too much to hear a guy get up and preach about a pre-tribulational rapture, then you do. You just need to go somewhere else. What you should never, ever, ever do is just stay there in so discord. You should right. never do anything like that. And and we've already kind of talked about uh, in the first episode, you know, why this is something that, you know, we can't allow people to be different on. You know, the end result is not terrible. And I do. I get offended when people come to me and they try to tell me how bad pre-trib churches are. Because like you had said in that episode that, you know, these are the churches that made me who I am. This is where I got saved. These They're the ones who taught me. You know, how, you know, the life that I live is from what I learned from these people. And, you know, eschatology, um, it doesn't really affect your present life that much. It, it really doesn't. And again, because we might not even live to see it. And so I, I, I like I agree with everything you said about that. And so um, it is important, too, though, because we can become so concerned as pastors of, you know, not wanting to hurt ourselves politically, upset people that, you know, we can end up failing and to be go ahead and be passionate about what we believe without being cruel to people who disagree. And I think we should be pass passionate about whatever we preach. I like guys 
that are passionate about everything. There's preachers that I know that are very passionate about things that I am not that passionate about. But at the same time, I know it's real and and I respect their zeal in that area. And, uh, and at the same time too, I get along with those people because they have shown their ability to put up with a guy who maybe isn't excited about that, yeah. you know, particular subject as they are. And so, you know, how can you be, how can you, how do you, how do you do that? You know, balancing, you know, or what are your thoughts about being passionate yet not being cruel to people who disagree? Well, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with attitude, but I will say this, that when you, when you are passionate about something, whether you're a church member in the pew, who's excited about eschatology, you want to talk about it, or the pastor who's up there pounding the pulpit, passion oftentimes gets misidentified as uh, arrogance or pride. And so at the end of the day, you cannot really help how it's being portrayed. They're going to take that no matter what it is. But what you can do is make sure your heart, that your spirit is right. And so as you're preaching and as you're going through these topics, you want to make sure your heart that you're not doing it in arrogance and in bitterness and in pride, because at that point you're at fault. But if you're doing it with a teaching spirit and you're trying to help people and they take it wrong, they're sitting there saying, well, who does Pastor Boyle think he is? He thinks he's a know-it-all. Well, I sure hope I don't think I'm a know-it-all, but I can't help it if that's their conclusion. Um, an example of this, dare I bring it up, was COVID. Um, during COVID, we were in unprecedented waters in my ministry. I've never had to deal with anything like this. And we contemplated shutting down. We contemplated online services only. We didn't know. And when we finally drew a, lamp, a line in the sand and said, we're just going to continue going no matter what happened. Uh, I was now preaching to a congregation who they hadn't drawn that line in the sand. They were still not sure if they're going to stay home or if they're going to uh, continue going. And and I, if you go back and watch, you know, I'm up there rallying the troops saying, get back out on the front line. Don't skip out on serving God, you know, because there were fearful servants of God that were contemplating quitting and taking a break. And I was up there as a pastor saying, hey, let's do this. Let's go. But behind the scenes, there were members who did retreat. And I was on the phone saying, hey, when you're on, you know, when you think it's safe to come back, we'd love to have you come back, you know, keep, you know, whatever you need to do, stay healthy. But the message from the pulpit is rah, rah, let's go. It's not time to quit. And I even had members from other churches that had called me and were saying, you know, my pastor shut down or whatever. And I would say, listen, stand behind your pastor. It's not worth it. Uh, but that doesn't mean I then have to get up next week and not preach rah, rah, let's go. Let's no, because I, that's the message that I have subscribed to. But the problem that you find is people who are unsure of their position, they need an echo chamber. They need everybody in the room to agree with them or they feel threatened. And so don't be that Christian when it comes to end time events that everybody in the room has to admit you're right or agree uh, that you have a better understanding than them. Be comfortable with them disagreeing with you. Um, but th but that, that's the courtesy. The compromise is when you stop preaching it because you know there's people in the room who don't agree with you. So know the difference. Know, know the difference between being courteous to someone, hey, 
you know what, they don't hold my view and I'm comfortable. I'm not threatened by that. I understand, you know, they may never believe what I say or they think I'm crazy. That's okay. You know, we at Revival Baptist Church have been labeled Ruckmanites. We've been labeled all kinds of things and it's anything but the truth. But we don't sit there and put out 15 videos why we're not Ruckmanite because we really don't care. You know, we are comfortable in our position. Um, we, we are going to continue to teach what we believe, but we want to do it in a courtesy spirit, not in a compromising spirit. And so there's a big difference uh, between the two. And I would just encourage the listeners to, to ask themselves, am I being arrogant or am I just being uh, decisive on my belief in teaching clearly what I believe? And I can't tell you that everybody is going to tell you, oh yeah, you have a great spirit because they're not. They're gonna, they're, if they don't like what you're saying, instead of attacking the topic, they're gonna tap attack your, your spirit, which they say they perceive, you know, you're proud. Uh, Revival Baptist Church was grandstanding. Well, those are attacks not on the issue, but on our spirit. And you can't, how do you defend that? No, I'm not proud. How do you, how do you defend that? No, I'm not arrogant. I'll prove it. Mm. You, can't, you can't do that. And so all you can do is stick to the topic and make sure your spirit is right and that your heart is right. And there's going to be people who perceive it one way or the other. Uh, just extend a courtesy to them. But compromise happens when you stop teaching it because you don't want to look arrogant. You stop teaching it because they've accused you of being prideful. Well, no, no, no. You work on that and make sure, you, make sure those accusations are false. But you keep teaching truth. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think we have two problems that are making this difficult in our culture. One, you mentioned the echo chamber. You know, we live in a world of social media. Everybody's got a platform, but we can also surround ourselves with the community of fellow village idiots, you know. And so we are used to, you know, we figured out ways to block out any type of dissenting opinion. And we all have a very inflated idea of our own opinion. And so I think that's, so whenever you hear somebody teaches somebody different, something different, you take it very personal and that's not right. But also in our culture today, anytime someone disagrees with you, it's always interpreted as hate. They hate me, you know, and that, oh, that preacher, he's preaching against my sin. He doesn't like me. And it's funny because, you know, Baptists, we make fun of that kind of thing all the time, but Baptists are, are just as bad when it comes to a lot of these things. And, you know, we all understand when it comes to, for example, when we go soul winning, we constantly are talking to people who we're disagreeing with, you know, but at the same time, you know, we, I, and maybe it's because we're strangers, you know, we don't take the disagreements personal, but we all understand there's no hate involved in what's going on there. We're disagreeing. We're trying to, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to persuade, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, we don't walk away from everybody who doesn't get saved, like hating those people, you know, but there's just something about, uh, the things where I think we're insecure, where it causes people to do that. They just hate me because whenever you're wrong, it helps a lot if you can make the other guy out to be a bad guy. So let's attach that, you know, Ruckmanite label to you, you know, which is really stupid or, you know, yeah, let's accuse him of grandstanding, being proud, arrogant, whatever. And, you know, it's just, it, it, you know, it's important, again, to not get caught up in, in that kind of thing and not to respond 
in that same way. And so, um, you know, is it being courteous or compromising? Because some might see it this as compromising or, you know, are you courteous or a compromising coward? Like if you're asked to preach at a meeting, but you don't bring up eschatology or are you asking these missionaries that you mentioned uh, that, you know, not to, you know, you told them not to bring up eschatology and dispensationalism. Are you asking them to compromise, you know, when you tell them not to bring those things up? Or is it you courtesy? Know, right. That's a good question. So if I'm invited to a, let's say, which this is going to be hypothetical because it's not, it's never happened, you know, who knows it may okay. but I get invited to preach at uh, the Sword of the Lord conference or some big name conference uh, where everyone there is going to be a pre-tribber. Well, the things to remember, especially when you're in a local church, is just like it would be wrong for a member to go against their pastor because their pastor's pre-trib and their post-trib, you know, they need to extend that courtesy and, and bite their tongue. Well, it's the same even from pastor going into another pastor's ministry. I am not going to give an account to the Lord for that ministry. And if 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 I feel like the only thing I can preach on is a pre-trib or a post-trib rapture against a pre-trib rapture, then then there's a problem with me as well. Um, what I would most likely, if I could just off the top of my head, uh, want to go and preach to a group of pastors would be, let's go soul winning. Mm. You know, let's get back out there. Let's do the work and encourage uh, more soul winning churches to just to blossom throughout the United States of America. Uh, that would be my message. Something's wrong if the message I think all churches in the world needs to hear is Jesus is coming in the middle of the seven week period, not at the beginning. That is, that's an overinflated view of my eschatology. Mm -hmm. And I need to, I need to revisit the importance of that doctrine. Um, and so, no, it's not compromise. If you're going into someone else's work and they're saying, Hey, we don't share these views. Um, stay off those topics. Yes, sir. I absolutely will stay away from those. Now, imagine, you know, where it is compromised. I'm going to a Catholic church and they say, now we believe, you know, in Mary and it's not by faith alone. Stay off those topics. Uh, no, mm -hmm. no, that is not, there's no room for compromise there. And that goes back again to kind of our, the beginning of this pop, the podcast series. And that is, there's a time to draw a line. What does it affect? Well, if the eternal destination of someone's soul is an effect, I'm not going to. I'm not going to bite my tongue. Uh, if it's a matter of when Jesus is coming back, not if, but when, whether it's three and a half years here or three and a half years here, uh, there's room for uh, uh, a disagreement there. And we can go ahead and just say, hey, we're not going to stay off that topic. Um, and so I think it's keeping a proper perspective of your doctrines. It's like most people I find have a hard time with this are new converts. They're typically, you know, 10 or three year uh, Christians, uh, one to three year, and they have this hammer of Bible eschatology in their hand. It's a sledgehammer, and they're just like, everybody who doesn't believe like me, Pastor, pound him. I, my preacher said Jesus could come back at any moment. I walked out. Like, what in the world? You know, hey, I'm glad you know your Bible, but, you know, you're, you're not ready to pound. The only time I see the sledgehammer come out in scripture, is when the Bible tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. That's when you get the sledgehammer out. And you don't let anybody budge on that. No, it's by faith alone. We'll 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 swing we'll swing that sledgehammer and and you know abolish any false doctrines when it comes to salvation. 
but especially eschatology, yes, stay off the subject. It's not your job. And, you know, as a missionary, I traveled around and I preached in a lot of churches. I preached in big churches and small churches all across the United States. Um, I went into churches where the music department was horrible. I went into churches where standards were non-existent. Uh, my message was missions. That was what I was invited to preach. So, you know, learning your learn, learning what your lane is and stay in that lane, I think, goes a long way. Yes, I think what happens a lot of times is you'll have preachers or individuals, they will like declare, you know, you preaching at a conference as like standing with all these different things. And it's like, and, and I don't, I don't always see it that way. I think at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to conscience. And uh, I know for myself, <clears throat> when I found myself in kind of a, a difficult situation, when I first became post-trib, I wasn't interested in going and changing the world on it. You know, I wasn't really ready to go fight about it, defend it and all that kind of stuff yet. But at the same time, I knew it was probably going to be for some people something that they might not want to fellowship with me with. And so when it came to all my old friends who, <clears throat> you know, knew me when I was pre-trib, you know, I would I felt like I was in a bad situation because it was like I didn't want to bring up I was post-trib because I don't want to fight with these people about it. But I also didn't want to feel like I was hiding you know, what right. I really believed either. And and so and I remember I got asked to preach a couple of places and I'm just like, you know, do I need to tell them that I'm post trib because I don't want to make it a point of contention. I don't want them to feel like I'm asking them to endorse that doctrine or whatever. But I, I didn't want to be deceptive either. And so whenever it just kind of became public knowledge. And everybody knew it was it was kind of liberating, you know. And so now I don't really have to worry about that anymore. Uh, but because, you know, even though I don't think it is worth breaking fellowship over, I don't think everybody's required to fellowship with me. And right. so if, if somebody's like, yeah, you know, we don't we don't do anything with post tribbers in our church. And it's like, OK, you know, I, I've got other friends, you know, not, not everybody has to be my friend. And so yeah. I, I'm glad now that. It's just out there, you know, most pretty much everybody knows where I am on that. And so if somebody does reach out and they want to fellowship with me, I don't I don't bring it up. I don't feel like I need to talk about it. And so, you know, when it comes to being kind and gracious to other people, uh, they know where I stand. And unless they're asking me to change my stance on something, you know, if they want me to go preach for a, you know, a, a conference or if they're doing a specific theme or subject, you know, we're in agreement and you have a soul winning thing with them. You know, there's just some things we ought to be able to hold hands and sing Kumbaya about, you know, when it comes to reaching souls, you know, that's one of those things. I'm not going to go check, you know, their uh, right. doctrine on eschatology and stuff like that. And so, um, but you know, I do think what a lot of it, it does have to do with conscience and, mm -hmm. Um, and so for myself, um, yeah, it just, it doesn't typically violate my conscience in any way to go to a pre-trib conference. Now, here's the thing too. I wouldn't go to an eschatology conference that was pre-trib right. unless too, uh, you know, and if I did, I, and, and I have once, but that's cause the pastor talked me into it, even though I didn't want to go. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be very honest about who I am. I'm not there to disrupt. I'm not there to cause problems. I got asked to go to, um, 
idea day out in Las Vegas uh, one year on Twitter. And I was like, you know, I'll go, but I, you know, I'm going to report back what I see, you know, if I go, which I ended up not going, I don't even think they really wanted me to go, but I'm like, Hey, I'll go. But this is because I did disagree with so much. I'm like, I'm going to go with the intent of, you know, reporting back, you know, my findings and they're probably going to be negative. So are you sure you want me there? And so, and if they're fine with that, then, you know, it's all good. But, but either way, you know, obviously, you know, you can use graciousness as uh, an, you know, an excuse for compromise. But at, at the end of the day, you know, you have to, you know, you have to decide if what you are doing is compromise. You can't let somebody else decide for you. I've had several people who have accused me of compromise just because they have heard me preach things that are contrary to people, uh, to what people preach that I used to fellowship with. And it's like, how is that compromise? Because I never preached what those guys are preaching. And I never stated that, you know, I, I that um, I would never fellowship with somebody like, or like, so for example, if you have a stronger position than I do about fellowship, okay. Um, just because me and you fellowship with each other and I fellowship with somebody you wouldn't fellowship with, it doesn't mean I compromise. I never set that standard. You did. Right. Right. But people are always trying to hold me accountable for the standard of some other preacher and then accuse me of compromise. And I was like, no, I, I never made that stand. So, yeah. no, I'm not compromising. Well, another thing I notice when it comes to things like this, and it's again, it's usually your newer Christians who they just think everybody's got to be, you know, they're the only one right. And all these 30 year pastors are probably not even saved. You know, you just it's, it's like so pathetic. But. I noticed a statement, and they, they say it a lot, and I disagree with it. And they say silence is consent. That is not true. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't say anything, you're agreeing with – no, no, no. Have, and I'm sure you've had it happen. It happened to me just yesterday. I was talking to a pastor, um, an older guy, and uh, met up with him uh, many years in ministry, missions. And right out of the gate, he wanted to talk about um, – Rapture, the time of the rapture, and began showing me from Revelation and how it can't be. And I could sit there, you know, and I could I could answer tit for tat, but he never asked me a single question. He's basically giving me an hour-long Bible study on how we know that it's the rapture, and it all goes back to the Jews. It has to, he told me nothing that I had not already heard. Um, and at the end, he's like, so do you see what I'm saying? Now he's asking me a question. So now I get to answer. And I said, well, sir, you know, you haven't shown me anything that I haven't already heard many times in Bible college. I used to believe what you believe, but I still disagree. He gets so frustrated as he kept going on. But as he's sitting up there, you know, sitting there opening scriptures, first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, Revelation, I don't agree with anything that he's saying, but I'm giving him a courtesy He's uh, many years older than me, many more years of ministry experience, and he's trying to help me out. Um, now, at the end, you know, I, I, he said, well, I guess I'm never going to change your mind. I said, well, no, it's if it's truth, you know, well, I'm going to get there. You don't have to worry about that. I, I've listened to you. I appreciate what you've shown me, but you haven't shown me anything I haven't already heard. Um, but if there's people who feel like anytime anything is misspoken, it's their duty their sworn duty 
to verbally say something and to disagree. Whereas as pastors, even at church, people are expressing opinions and they're not asking me anything. They're just, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I'm thinking, oh, it's a bad decision, but they never ask. And then they'll come later and say, well, pastor, you said no. You held the conversation. Silence doesn't mean consent. You'll wear yourself out trying to correct every wrong statement you hear. It's not your duty. It's not your job. Sometimes even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just good to not utter all your mind. And now if someone point blank asks, your pastor comes to you and says, hey, um, I noticed you uh, kind of were not really on board during the Revelation series. You know, Maybe I said something that offended you. Oh, hey, pastor, you know, now that you mention it, yes, we're actually in disagreement. But just because you sit through a Revelation series and don't say anything doesn't mean you're agreeing with it. Silence is not consent. Silence is sometimes just being courteous. And when someone comes to you and point blank asks, well, then there you go. Now, well, you know, actually, I hold a different view than the pastor. Um, But I'd rather not discuss it because in honor and respect of your pastor. So be confident that, you know, as I was sitting there with that pastor, he really was getting frustrated that he couldn't convince me. And I think he was even more frustrated that I wasn't even trying to defend my, my position, that I was okay with him being different, but he was not okay with me being different. And there was, there was a confidence that comes from knowing truth. Not everybody in the room has to see it. And I'm still going to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, you know, in ministry, there'll be people who no longer want to be friends with Revival Baptist Church. And, you know, People look at you like, how are you going to handle it? Well, I'm not going to get up there and blast them. And I, I'll even make statements like, you don't have to be friends with the Royal Baptist Church to be right with God. God's not going to be like, oh, I can no longer bless your ministry, Pastor McMurtry, because you don't like Pastor Boyle anymore. You know, like, no, we, we don't have to be friends. There's times where we don't have anything in common. Hey, well, you know what? You go do what God wants for you. I'll go do what God wants for me. You're not my enemy. And I don't see that anymore. I don't see that courtesy being extended. It's you either. It's like the disciples. Remember, we talked about the disciples not understanding eschatology. They didn't understand courtesy uh, or compromise. When he's like, "Hey, they're over here baptizing and they're doing it differently," Lord, he's like, "Hey, if they're not scattering, they're gathering." He's like, "Hey, they're let them do their work. Worry about yourself." So we have a lot we could learn in this area from the disciples. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, and I'll say this too. When it comes to my pre-trib friends, I don't try to change them. Now, mm-hmm. if they and and if if I make new pre-trib friends, I'm not I'm not making friends with people hoping I can turn them. You know, if I'm and I I've told preachers this, it's like if I'm friends with you, it's because I like you, how you are now. I don't feel it necessary or my responsibility to change you. Now, if they want to talk to me about these things. I'd be glad to, but I, I will let them initiate the conversation. You know, I've got, and I've got one pastor friend that I, I consider a friend. I think he's a, is a great man. And, you know, we've had a lot of discussions, you know, specifically to talk about differences. And he, I mean, he's strong on his pre-trib position. And I don't, I don't think he's probably ever going to change, but, you know, if, if, but we can talk about it and get along. And if he was ever like, you know, I just, I, don't, I can't talk about this anymore that's fine. I'll keep being friends with them you know, right. because I like him and I, mm-hmm. I think he's a good man and a good person. And so it is, it's just about being courteous. We just don't have to fix everybody's issues, you know, that we think they have. I just think that's ridiculous. And so 
Uh, we're about out of time, but I do I do want to just maybe briefly talk about this too. Something that I you know I want to say kind of two post trippers and I would like to hear your thoughts on it too. But when it comes to post the post trib replacement theology position in the independent fundamental Baptist world, it is a relatively newer phenomenon that we're seeing that at least in in the last generation. Okay, in previous generations we didn't really get to this. It, these things were not that big of a deal. I was just reading some stuff about Charles Spurgeon. Everyone claims Charles Spurgeon had their position, but Charles Spurgeon, he didn't write much on that. That was not an area he was real comfortable with. And you can, you know, we're all going to be able to find something Charles Spurgeon said that agreed with us. You know, one of the things that I read, it said that he believed that the church was going to go through the tribulation. You know, I don't know. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. It just, to me, it proves this didn't used to be a dividing issue, but I, I believe from my understanding and from what I've seen, observed, talked to people, seems like the 70s is when it kind of became a, a big thing. But now it's kind of going away. And so what I think a lot of people are doing that is wise is they are judging the fruit of the post-trib replacement crowd. And because and because we are relative it is a rev, relatively newer movement i think that that's you know wise on some part but you know um you know what would you say about the fruit of you know the post trip pre wrath you know do people have cause to be concerned um you know or is just you know the jury still out on it i mean what are your thoughts on that uh well i would say this i would say looking back in history like you had mentioned what you'll find is, you know, whether it was the 70s or not, but it's pretty relatively recent that pre-tribulational found its way in the tagline of the independent fundamental doctrinal statements of churches. It's on websites and tracks, you know, King James, soul winning, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial. Um, what you'll find in history was there was always debate. No one can say post-tribulational doctrinal views happened in our generation. It's becoming relatively new, like the phenomenon you talked about. But that position has always been debated all the way back as far as you can go, as well as a mid-trib or even a pre-trib. So for people to, for any for any side to come up and dogmatically say, it's been settled, I don't know why we're still talking about it. You haven't read history. Mm -hmm. uh, and nobody, you know, up until recent history has put it in the tagline of their church. Uh, that it's this big deal that we can't fellowship with anybody if they don't hold to these. Um, it would be later on when Schofield and all that would come along to make these issues uh, something that were uh, of importance. But I would say, yes, it is very important to see who's believing these things. For instance, let me give you an example. Uh, if I were to come around today and come up with a new view that no one else holds to, you would easily be able to debunk that and say, so up until... Pastor Boyle came along. Nobody believed it. Now all of a sudden, it's a doctrine. So that it does it does play an effect in our our positioning is who else believes these things. One time there was a guy in our church had some kind of weird conspiracy theories, and I just asked him who else in the wo entire world believes that. And he got a little frustrated. He said, "That's not legitimate." Yeah, that's a legitimate question. Now that doesn't prove whether it's right or not but it proves whether I need to study it out or not. Mm -hmm. If no one else believes it, I'm not going to waste my time studying it. I know it's not true. So, um, yes, you want to look at the fruit of that, of that doctrine, but at the same time, it's, 
good fruit, bad fruit, nice people, mean people don't necessarily prove whether it's true or not, but it will give enough indication whether it merits a study. So you look at those who hold a post-tribulational view and you say, you know, it seems to be growing and more and more good people are getting, you know, sucked into that bad doctrine. Well, maybe you should ask and say, how are so many good people leaning that way or studying that way? Maybe there's merit to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the pre-tribulational camp would love nothing more than just a handful of mean-spirited people to hold that doctrine, because then it would be easy for them to debunk it based on the fruit alone and not the topic. But I would say, uh, yes, you want to look at the fruit, and I think you'll find that more and more people, um, even people who fly the pre-trib banner, in their inner heart would say, but I do, I do question some things. I'm not solid. I've never studied it out. And so that's what we at Revival Baptist Church are trying to do, you know, is create um, a uh, uh, post-tribulational, non-dispensational flavor that, look, we, we hold these doctrines and come judge our fruit. Look at the people will come to Revival Baptist Church and, you know, they don't know we hold those views just because they never did any research. It's clearly on our website, but they just show up and they love it. The singing, the family's all sitting together, homeschooling wives or stay-at-home moms. And they look around and they said, you know, I did not think there were churches like this anymore. They love it. Mm. Then they go back home and their pastor warns them. Oh, you were in a new IFB cult. You, you're, boy, I can't believe. And then all of a sudden like, oh man, I dodged a bullet there. That was, that's a horrible church. Mm. But if based on face value, they love it. It's not until they're warned later that they say, oh, wow, I didn't know. And so I think that's a dangerous place to be. So does looking at the fruit matter? It does to an extent. Uh, but just even if, even if every post-tribulational preacher out there had a great church that was thriving, you still couldn't take it for that alone. You still couldn't say, oh, well, then post-trib is right. No, that doesn't prove anything. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to being courteous versus compromising, when it comes to studying it out, you know, you definitely want to, you definitely want to look into things and ask yourself, why do I believe these things? Who else believes these things? And what's the product of believing these things? Yep. No, that's good. Yeah. And when I say too, when I say new, I'm saying new in relation to like in the, in the narrow IFB realm, because again, before the seventies, People weren't locked into position. And so it was like in the 70s is when they kind of got locked in. And unfortunately, a lot of the people who did push post-trib in, in those days were typically not KJV only. And a lot of them were wrong on Israel because uh, a lot of Israel foolishness started getting taught after 1948 because everybody saw it as this big fulfillment of Schofield's prophecy and stuff like that. And so a, a lot got messed up during that time. And so I've had a lot of preachers tell me, you know, everyone I've known that's gone post-trib, they went off the deep end, they lost their ministry. Well, it's like, and they never can name any of them. But one of the things I've learned in the independent fundamental Baptist world, when somebody says this person lost their ministry, what that actually means is they lost their uh, standing in their club. It means they quit getting asked to preach at the big conferences. 
you know, they no longer got their sermons written in the sword of the Lord. That's what that means. Because a lot of these guys still have ministries, are still doing things for God, still getting people saved. They're just not in that club anymore. And the thing is, these guys, they can't imagine anything worse than getting kicked out of their club. But folks, I've been kicked out of multiple clubs. It's not a big deal. You know, just get over it and just do the right thing. And so to to close this out, um, I want to do this. I want to do this quick segment. I want to do this with with post trip pastors I have on here. I want to call it the let's talk. Let's talk about pre trivers segment. So uh, we've been talking a lot about pre trivers and, you know, fellowshipping with them. Who are some pre trivers that you like? Okay, well, uh, that would be a long list, um, but obviously top of the list would be my pastor, Dr. Mickey Carter. Uh, I love him, respect him. You know, when it comes to uh, who I am, where, what put me on the mission field, it was, I grew up under his preaching and he was a man's man. He loved hard preaching. He took no nonsense. He was from a church that was, you know, pastor led. And, you know, he was very influential in my life. So it, it hurt me when he was no longer willing to be my friend because of it. But I refused to let that affect the way I looked at him. I, I, I love my pastor. Uh, he's now retired as of the uh, beginning of this year, uh, but 50 years or more in ministry as a pastor there. So uh, certainly uh, Pastor Carter uh, is top of the list for me. And, um, you know, I, I can think of uh, Brother Jeff Fugit is another one that comes to my mind. I love his style of preaching. I've been to his church. Uh, my sister graduated his college and taught at the school there for several years. Um, I, meeting Pastor Jeff Fugit, you know, he has a celebrity status in many people's uh, categories, and rightfully so. He's doing a great work, but you never meet a more downhearted person when you meet Pastor Fugit and the ministry that he represents there. Um, you know, obviously, we, we're, we're talking about things we like. There's obviously differences, but to me, uh, I, I would endorse his ministry or his work. I like what he's doing, Dr. Carter. They kind of come with the same flavor, Dr. Carter, Dr. Fug or Jeff Fugit. Um, so both of those would be top uh, the, the top two of my list. Okay, yeah, those those. Are, and you know, I think one thing I wanted to say before too is um, a lot of those people who lost their ministries, they were kind of just driven out of the IFB. I think because mm -hmm. of their difference in these areas. But I'm thankful. We've got a bunch of guys now who we just can't get run out of the IFB mm -hmm. because, you know, we believe like them. It's who we are. Right. And I think the, one of the problems is we have too many people in the independent fundamental Baptist world that don't really believe in separation and, and, and the King James Bible and soul winning. And I think they're doing a lot of damage where, you know, a lot of us guys, you know, we do. We really believe these things. And that's why they just they can't get rid of us. And yeah. And so I guess, you know, uh, when I talk about, uh, I had somebody a while back ask me, you know, who's a pre-triver. Uh, but you know, we were ta talking about some of the crazy ones, but he was like, who do you think are some of the good ones? And, and I, without missing a beat, I, I told him Dennis Coral was the first one I mentioned. And, um, Dennis Coral, he's got a book, uh, defending the pre-tribulation rapture that um, I want to talk to him about it because I would like to do a review on that book and just explain uh, what I disagree with in that book. But I appreciated the fact that he represented the, po the pre-wrath position accurately. He did not go into heresy to defend the pre-trib rapture. 
Um, you know, he would probably consider himself dispensational to a certain extent, but he's got a whole book debunking dispensational salvation. And he's right. just, he's a good teacher, a good preacher. You know, he's been influential to me. Uh, I've always enjoyed his preaching. And so if somebody, if somebody lines up with what's in his book, I can live with that, you know, and yeah. uh, I don't have a problem with that. Um, and the other person that I mentioned is, uh, and I've only met him one time. I don't know him real well, but Charles Hiltabittle, he's somebody who he does a lot of stuff on prophecy. Uh, I read a pamphlet that he wrote on the pre-tribulation rapture, and obviously I, I didn't agree with it. I think I could uh, debunk what he's saying, but um, I, you know, I've talked to him. He's a good man. Uh, he's got a you know a good heart. He's doing work for the Lord. Uh, he doesn't teach some of the crazy heresies that people, a lot of people in the dispensational world do. And so I, um, yeah, I, these, so so these, these are just two guys that promote pre-trib that I can say, I mean, these are guys that really push it. And I, I like those guys. I I respect them where there's a ton that don't make a huge deal about it, but you know, you know, so Mm -hmm. yeah, those are two there. How about some pre-tribbers you don't like? Well, let me add to Dennis Coral. I actually, mm-hmm. uh, he was my college professor in college back when I first started at our Landmark Baptist College. They were in a modular system. So it'd be two weeks and then three weeks of the same class. And it was a three-week class on prayer that they flew uh, Dennis Coral in. And he preached or he taught uh, four or five hours a day, five days a week for three weeks straight on prayer. And I tell you, it's intense going into that much that much of one subject for that long, uh, but that's how the structure was. So I, I know him well. Of course, Revival Fires, he came uh, through our church a lot, so I would share respect. But the question is now, uh, pre-trippers I don't like? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this, one's, this list might be a little longer. <laughs> you can just but give your top two or three. My top my top one, ready, would be Sam Gipp. Hey. And, and Stole really, mine. <laughs> So the only reason is I never knew who Sam Gipp really was. I always, in my mind, through the grapevine, I heard he was a King James guy. Well, apparently he's from just a town north of where I was in Ohio. I was in a town of Port Washington. He's from Akron, and that's his hometown. And he was coming through to preach, and I brought my whole church back early on. I'm like, hey, there's a King James guy. He's known for King James. You know, he's from this area. Let's go hear him preach. And I heard that that's where I heard Jesus Christ was about to be born and he's in heaven. He's got his handle on the doorknob and someone asked him on the way out, but what if they reject you this time? And he's like, I'll think of something, you know, and he's being born bad, bad doctrine all through the whole mess. And I remember looking at my church and I'm like, I am so sorry. I did not know who this guy was, (laughs) but he, someone like Sam Gipp, uh, makes it easy for me to, to, to debunk a pre-trip a rapture view because he gives you so much ammunition mm-hmm. all the way to like Jesus should have been called Jesus. He should have been called Emmanuel. Some of the silliest things I've ever heard him preach. And it's just reading a verse before or after it like completely debunks what he's teaching. So he, he hits top of the list only because of all the silly things he says that make it so easy to prove that he's, he's not founded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's, and he's so arrogant about it, too. That's the thing that's aggravating. But, yeah, and then my number two would be Bill Grady. Yeah, he, he's, yeah, for, for sure. But, you know, uh, you know, back to Dennis Coral, I was listening to a preacher a while back 
who was uh, preaching on a subject against dispensationalism, and I was in agreement with this guy. And it was it was it was specifically in a subject where uh, apparently him and De- Dennis Coral are in disagreement, and he was calling Dennis Coral reprobate concerning the faith. I got ticked off. I'm just like, dude. And I was like in agreement with this guy's position, but it's like, dude, you're taking that way too far. And if you think Dennis Coral is reprobate concerning the faith, then you know you need to get slapped upside the head. I mean, yeah. what in the world? Come on. But uh, you know, and and I appreciate people being passionate about subjects, but it's just like, come on, you know, let's 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 tone it down a little bit, okay? You know, you're you're making our side look bad, and uh, you know, the, there are there's a, there's a lot of good people in that world out there now. It, just like you would you wouldn't want to take Sam Gipp and judge every pre-tribulational view through Sam Gipp. No, that's or, not fair. Or Tony Hudson, oh. or you know. The list goes on. You w- we wouldn't want to do that, just as we would ask that they not take the fringe of a post-trib view and hold us all to that. Um, but sadly, I think both sides do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, they, yeah. It's and it is. It's easy. It's the easy thing to do. You want to discredit pre-trib? You talk about the Ruckmanites, and yeah, it's not fair. But it is. There are. There's a lot of good people in that world, and we, yeah, we could have spent a lot of time talking about them. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw, I want to throw that in there in these just because there are. There are ones I like. I do. I genuinely like them, and I think they're always just wondering, like, what's he trying to do to me? Is he trying to put it over? I was like, like, no. I. <laughs> these are my priorities. Is how I feel. Uh, genuinely like you. But anyway, I really appreciate you doing these with me, uh, and a lot of really good stuff. And I do think it helped kind of set the tone this program and intend to in the future have a lot of guests on here as many as i can people who agree people who disagree uh, I'm, i plan on spending a lot of time just going through doctrine talking about that but uh, we're going to get to some of that stuff later on but either way i hope these were a help and a blessing make sure you like subscribe share do that whole nine yards go look up pastor Boyle's church revival baptist church in orlando i know you can find his youtube channel out there a lot of good preaching, uh, a lot of good singing here out of that church. And for sure, you know, if you're ever in his area, you'll want to visit his church. It's always an exciting place to go see and visit. So any final words before we close out? No, I just, I thank you. And I look forward to the future podcast. I, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate your work there. And of course, as we started off the friendship through the years, and uh, we just appreciate you guys and looking forward to the content that's coming. Amen. Well, thank you very much. God bless you. We will see you all next time.